0: The Paul Kuharski Podcast is brought to you by Yazoo Brewing Company, a Nashville original since 2003. Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski Podcast. Been a while. Happy to be back with you, catching up on some Titans uh, issues during a week where I'm not writing much and I'm not on the Midday 180 uh, good to be with you. Brought to you as always by Yazoo Brew, the finest beer in Nashville. And uh, since you're spending more time at home than usual, something you should be stocking your refrigerator with. I know uh, it's half of ice season for a lot of you. That's a year-round thing for me. Pleased to be joined today by Wes Patrick, who was a superb intern at the aforementioned Midday 180 excuse me, all around good guy, uh, and a good conversationalist. So it's always a little weird here where I try to flip it and, uh, have somebody kind of take the lead role. Um, but we're going to give it a shot here. So, uh, Wes, I'm happy that you're joining me. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate you letting me uh, jump in and join in the conversation.
0: Well, I'm sure it'll be good, and so uh, I'm giving you the steering wheel, and we're going to talk about a lot about what's been going on um, with the team, what's coming up with the team, and uh, so you take the wheel. All right,
1: sounds good. So there's obviously been a lot going on with the Titans and the NFL as a whole and life in general, really, as all this COVID-19 – stuff is going on and we're entering seems like another month of this so uh, what I've gathered is um, from what you've written at paulkowarski.com and just kind of some Titans news uh, right off the jump a couple days ago I guess yesterday was the fifth year option deadline for the 2017 draft class and with that the Titans declined the option of the fifth overall pick Corey Davis they also picked up the option of the 18th overall pick a Dory Jackson. So kind of going off that news um, you wrote the Titans made the right call, but Corey Davis, but the disappointing Corey Davis is hardly a bust.
0: He's um, I mean, I don't think it was hard to see either of these things coming. Um, right. And that's, I think I probably had a Jackson first Corey Davis. Came out through his agent, through one of the national guys, I think, uh, Pellicero. Um, it's, it's not a surprise. Um, and the hit rate, I think, is is right about 50%. <clears throat> I think, um, really, there were 30 guys out of this first round. Two of them were moot. Um, and I, th- I think it was something like 17 um, who got it. Um, so it's not good for the Titans that they're drafting a guy fifth overall who they don't, aren't compelled to lock up for five years, a year after a guy they drafted eighth overall, they weren't compelled to lock up for a fifth year. And it's not just that fifth year, but I mean, you want a guy that you want to lock up for that fifth year, um, who then you would be extending, um, and ideally have for two contracts and you'd have him for, Nine years, uh, likely that second contract, typically four years. So it's not a good thing. Um, you know, but, uh, while he's not Julio Jones, who's the guy I think everybody was dreaming of when he was drafted fifth overall, he's also not Justin Blackman. Um, and he's not Charles Rogers. You know, these are big time first round busts. Um, He's not a terrible NFL player, right? He's, he's, um, he's a reasonably good number two receiver, but if you're drafting fifth overall, you've got to get better than a reasonably good number two receiver. Now, if he got this, if they gave him this money, $15.7 million, it would have lined him up to have been the second, have received the second most cash in 2021 to only amari cooper and odell beckham jr which is ridiculous money uh you know if uh if aj brown stays on the course he's on th- then you'd say sign sign you up for that if Corey davis stays on the course he's on that would be incredible overpayment so i think Corey davis is a disappointment um, uh, he's very good blocking downfield. That's not worth big receiver money. That's not the number one thing you're looking for. You need production, you need catches and you need yards and you need touchdowns. He doesn't consistently give the Titans enough of that. And, uh, this is going to be his last year with the team. And that's uh, a disappointment, but there's a lot of, uh, space West between calling him a disappointment and calling him a bust.
1: And when you, uh, you talk about that $15.7 million option, it was going to be for the one year, you mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. and Amari Cooper. If, if you could look at right at that number, you're talking about receivers like Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, like you mentioned. Players like that are earning that type of money. But asking you another question about kind of his worth, you're talking about you're not paying a guy to run block. And be a good blocking wide receiver with the number five overall pick. Um, you told me that you didn't get a chance to see Tajay Sharp's tweet. Um, when I didn't get a chance to see out. it, Wes,
0: because I'm blocked by Tajay Sharp. Uh, yeah, you're
1: staying. You're staying in your lane.
0: Yeah, I have stayed in my lane. Stay your lane. Stay in your lane. So uh, because uh, he didn't like me, he blocked me. But I have heard a little bit about this tweet, but I have not heard the tweet. So as you read it to me. This will be new.
1: All right, well, here it goes. And it, it is kind of a, it's in the stay-in-your-lane category. So when the news dropped of Corey Davis's uh, option being declined, former teammate, Tajay Sharp, who's now with the Vikings, he says, don't play with my brother CD name. Bro been a dog from the jump, really bout that. And then so someone replies, Nobody playing with his name. We just know he isn't worth $15 million. No thousand yard seasons, no seasons with more than four touchdowns. AJ came in and outshined him instantly, not worth 15 million. Tajay Sharp then replies, who are you to tell somebody what they are worth?
0: Well, it, it, that person isn't the person who told them what he's worth. John Robinson told him what he's worth. And who is John Robinson to tell him who he's worth? He's, he's his boss. <laughs> You know who gets to determine your salary? Your boss. Uh, you know, my boss at at Cumulus determines what I'm worth. I have a contract negotiation. If there was a mechanism negotiated, if I was a union member and my union negotiated a, a collective bargaining agreement that had a fifth-year option, then my boss would have the right to either exercise or not exercise my fifth-year option, and that would tell the world what my boss thought my worth was. So Tajay, uh, you know, doesn't get a, a lot of these things. Um, and that's that's why he and I are not on a uh, Twitter communication uh, basis in our relationship. That's, that's a ridiculous tweet. That guy owned him there. Um, and he's not worth that money. Look, there's a lot of value to the blocking that he does, but you should be able to have a guy do that blocking who is a quite, quite frankly, who comes into the league like a Tajay sharp, a fifth round uh, draft pick who is, you know, on a rookie contract. Um, and I think we're going to get into where, where Corey Davis's replacement ultimately comes from, but um, yeah, he needs to have those blocking skills. They need to be bonus skills, not, not primary skills. Uh, and, and look, Titans are run-based offense for sure. All their receivers need to be able to block. A.J. Brown's a good downfield blocker too. But what do you think of when you think of A.J. Brown, first and foremost? He runs away from people with the ball in his hands. That's what you need a receiver to do. Run away from people with the ball in his hands? There's one way to do it. Or run past people and catch the ball behind them. Uh, you need one of those two things. Uh, First and foremost, out of a wide receiver, Titans have gone years and years and years and years without having guys who do those things on a consistent basis. Hopefully, A.J. Brown is not an aberration. Hopefully, A.J. Brown uh, is the beginning of something new for the Titans who've had a problem spot at wide receiver, quite frankly, from Derek Mason to A.J. Brown, which is, I think, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, it's 28 or 29 draft picks in that span of time. Um and again, Corey Davis is a is, is a good player. You'd like to have him, you know, in your top three or four at a very moderate price. Can you have him as your two at a giant price? Absolutely not.
1: So you mentioned um you just mentioned it a minute ago, but you also mentioned it on the midday one eighty a week or two ago. I heard you you said it's not often, if ever, and you couldn't find it, and I couldn't find it because I've looked at A player gets his option declined and then signs back with the team. So you just mentioned that uh, the Titans will most likely be going in a different direction next year, as will Corey Davis. So do you look at free agency or from what I've seen and read, another deep wide receiver draft class in 2021?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know that draft class. You you put out a good list here in in our notes together and uh, and unveiled that it looks like it'll be another good draft class. This is why I was a little bit disappointed in. uh, And we're gonna talk more about their draft. You would have loved for them to have more of a Jeffrey Simmons situation here without minus the ACL. But out of a great receiving class, I can't remember how many. There there were not many teams in this draft who did not address wide receiver at all, given how many good wide receivers there were.
1: Packers Um, being one of them.
0: Yeah, Packers being one and Titans being one. Titans don't have a desperate need at wide receiver for this year. But what if you got the guy who's going to replace Corey Davis a year ahead the way you got Jeffrey Simmons, the guy who is replacing Jarrell Casey, a year ahead? Um, that's a better way to do it than to be replacing, um, right, right on schedule. I'm looking here. I'm not going to have it right in front of me. The way you've got Christian Fulton, uh, you know, he's not man for man, position for position, replacing Logan Ryan, but he's dropping in as a number, uh, as a top three cornerback right away. Well, that's going to happen, right? That's the nature of the beast. But ideally you'd have your fourth cornerback grow into your third cornerback the year one of your top three leaves you want as many of those situations as possible you'd like that situation with Corey Davis I don't think you're going uh veteran receiver next year I'm looking for that list uh AJ Green you know is uh on the downside though we don't know that much about him because he didn't play with that knee injury Alan Robertson I'd pass T.Y. Hilton There's some intrigue at taking him away from the Colts, but these are big money guys. Larry Fitzgerald's old Keenan Allen would be huge, but I can't imagine that the chargers would let him go. Sammy Watkins moves around constantly. Um, And Sammy Watkins is the one guy off these uh, option lists that we looked at. He, he didn't have his option picked up by the bills. Now he was a better player than Corey Davis three years into his career and he got traded. Um, with a sixth round pick to the Rams for a second round pick and a uh, EJ Gaines, a quarterback, a cornerback, and uh, then went to Kansas City as a free agent. That's the best uh, non-option pickup for a wide receiver scenario out of this entire list. But um, I, you know, I guess in the Titans' defense, you could you could talk about all these guys that didn't get their options picked up, and a lot of them are a lot worse than Corey Davis. Kevin White with the Bears, you know, was always banged up. Uh, Brashad Perriman with the Ravens was was declined, and then he was waived in his third year. Philip Dorsett got traded after two seasons from the Colts to the Patriots, and he didn't get his exercise. Josh Doxson and Laquan Treadwell were both pretty much busts, right, with Washington and, and the Vikings. You'd rather have Corey Davis than them. And then in, in Corey Davis's year, you had Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross go five, seven, and nine. Davis was a no. Mike Williams is a yes with the Chargers. John Ross is a no with the Bengals. By my count, ten out of twenty-one receivers um, since <clears throat> uh, since the two thousand thirteen draft. So those guys, what is that? Three or four classes of receivers. Uh, ten out of twenty-one, nearly fifty percent have been no. So. We tend to hit John Robinson on this. It's not like his colleagues aren't making the same move,
1: right? And and not including the twenty seventeen draft class, only two of those receivers on that list of twenty one are still on the same team that drafted them. Mike yeah, Devin, there's been a lot of movement. Fuller. So, um, but with with Corey Davis not having his option fifth year option picked up, this would now become the second consecutive year where the Titans do not pick up the option on their first-round draft pick, Jack Conklin from 2016 and then Corey Davis now. Do you kind of see this becoming a trend in the 2018 with Rashawn Evans? You obviously hope that's not the case, and it doesn't look like that right now, but you don't want this kind of continue. You want to build with your premium draft picks.
0: Yeah, Evans and then Simmons. It's, it's uh, Evans looks like he's on that path. Also inside linebacker. It's not as expensive a position when you get to those numbers, right? Those fifth-year uh, options. Also, he's a lower pick. Um, it's not as much about the position; it's about the uh, about the pick. So, the twenty-second pick in a draft is not going to cost you uh, as much as a top ten pick. Should mention too, Adore Jackson, who is what, eighteenth or nineteenth? I always get confused. Eighteenth. Yeah, eighteen. Uh, um. He, he did get his option picked up. So they had three first-rounders out of those two first years. And uh, so they did pick up the option on one. Look, it's not uncommon. I think John Robinson, that you don't pick him up. John Robinson has gotten to be a better drafter, I think, over time. But the major point is Titans have gotten to be a better team. They're not going to be drafting, you would hope, in the top 10 again or very often. And when you do, you got to get a foundational player who is going to be with you long-term. If Jack Conklin, and look, I think they made the right call on Jack Conklin. I think they made the right call on Corey Davis. The point is they got to do better with those guys. So it's an obvious call so that you keep that guy on your roster. And then the Titans aren't drafting this year with offensive tackle as a need. And Isaiah uh, Isaiah Wilson isn't a need. And then that opens up the draft in a whole new way. Um, And so if you hit on Conklin and you miss on Davis, well, then in this great receiver draft, uh, wide receivers open to you at at 29 or a whole bunch of other things are open to you at 29. Um, You know, or if you hit on them both. These foundational guys, you have to hit. I would say they had to hit on at least one of them because now... You just had to draft a replacement for Conklin only, what, four or five years later. And next year, you're going to have to draft a replacement for Davis. doesn't necessarily have to come in the first round. It's going to have to come in the first three rounds, probably. And you're repeating yourself sooner than you'd like. And to be as good as you can be, you need some of those draft picks to be super long-term guys. You need Evans to be a super long-term guy you need simmons to be a super long-term guy you need uh you know and the, and then the the options aren't aren't a thing but you need those second rounders to be super long-term guys landry uh henry and running backs aren't super long-term guys you know i think the henry thing might be a tag and a tag and that'll be 6 years and that could be the lifespan of, of a running back. So we'll see. So I think it's a good team that's well-built, but this is a deficiency for sure. If they had th- – just think how different it would be if they were locked in at right tackle and it wasn't a consideration and, and Isaiah Wilson wasn't a necessity or if A.J. Brown and Corey Davis were locked in now for next year and then Davis was getting an extension and they were locked in with their top two receivers – for the foreseeable future. Um, and they didn't have to, and you could just cross those off Wes, as you're looking at, at draft needs this year, this draft that was just completed and next year. And all of a sudden things get a lot simpler and they weren't as simple and they aren't as simple as they could be. And I think as they should be.
1: Right. And, um, you know, we talk about the option not being picked up with Jack Conklin and Corey Davis, but, Uh, You know, my cousin, he brought up a great point to me. We were talking about this a week or two ago. Even when people say John Robinson has some quote unquote misses, his misses, and even those they aren't a part of the team now and going forward, even though his misses are contributors, his rounds one through five since 2016 in the draft are very, very solid. And there aren't many misses quote-unquote as of right now. You can make the argument for Kevin Dodd, obviously, and Taewon Taylor, who was traded last year right before the start of the season. If you go back and look at rounds one through five since 2016, that's really the foundation of the Tennessee Titans team right now in some positions.
0: Let's do that. So Conklin, and, and, and this is something Floyd Reese used to do, even with the players that left. You know, you see that they're somewhere else in the mix. So Conklin's not here but he's a high-paid right tackle starting for the Cleveland Browns. It's not like he's a washout player by any means. So Conklin from that 2016 draft, uh, you know, high-quality NFL player. Dodd, you know, the the complete bust of the John Robinson draft thing. Austin Johnson, not good enough for a second-rounder, but a serviceable NFL player. Derrick Henry, obviously, is panned out in a huge way. Kevin Byard panned out in a huge way. Tajay Sharp. Uh, a good fifth, uh, a good fifth round pick, um, who who's gone on to uh, a reasonable contract and a reasonable role in Minnesota. Lashawn Sims uh, ended up in the doghouse; didn't end on a good note when they were desperate for cornerback help, but made a significant contribution while he was here, like you're talking about, and now has a job in Cincinnati. 2017 Davis, like we said, not good enough, but uh, you know a a, a starter by every sense of the word and uh has flashes and and you know contributes in in kind of invisible ways in the blocking game Adore jackson i think still an ascending player we have not seen the best of Adore jackson though they totally missed on the special teams contribution he was a killer on special teams where he should have put the punt return thing to rest forever Taewon Taylor, like you said, is uh, you know, qualifies as pretty much a bust. John Lew Smith, very good player. Jayon Brown, better than a very good player. 2018 Evans, I think still getting better. Landry, I need to see more, but you know, he's somebody they're counting on. Cruikshank you know, uh mid roster special teams contributor. I don't know if he's gonna be a starter at safety anytime, but you know, that's uh, the kind of guy you're looking for in the fifth round, at least. 2019, it's still early on these guys. Simmons looks awfully good. A.J. Brown was unbelievable. Nate Davis looks like he could be a starter for a good while. Amani Hooker, to me, was invisible last year, but they seem high on him. DeAndre Walker, we haven't seen yet. David Long, very good in what we saw from him. So, I mean, you're right. We talk about that group. There are very few guys that we're saying absolute. There are only two guys we're saying absolute thumbs down on. It's Kevin Dodd and Taewon Taylor. That's a, a nice core of a football team.
1: So John Robinson has now completely kind of upgraded a roster from top to bottom after taking over for Rust and Webster starting in 2016. And when you have a good team, good players are going to have to walk. But PK, as you wrote, this was a replenishment draft, and you've hit on that more than a get better draft this year in 2020. And you kind of hit on the core of your belief there.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the disappointment to me out of this draft and we should have seen it coming. Um, but as you look at what they brought in, I mean, Isaiah Wilson is a straight up replacement for Conklin, right? And he's not going to be better than Conklin at least for a while. Fulton, while he may not be the slot guy is a straight up replacement for Logan Ryan in terms of being a top three cornerback. Darrington Evans, uh, you know, I expect is going to offer more from that second running back position than Dion Lewis, who was a a bust of a free agent and way overpaid, though he has to really prove himself in, um, in pass protection, but he's a straight up replacement for Dion Lewis. Laurel Murchison is kind of a straight up replacement for Austin Johnson. Cole McDonald is, you know, a, a project, you know, I, I'm not real big on that pick in the seventh round the seventh round. They're kind of, you know, take your chances. Chris Jackson, if he pans out would be, you know, kind of the straight up replacement for LaShawn Sims. There's nobody in this draft. That's like a, a bonus addition. Like we were talking about earlier. There's nobody in this draft. That's like the next Corey Davis or stacked upon something that was already in the roster. All these guys are replacing something that's lost. And I guess once in a while you're going to wind up with a draft that's like that. The Titans haven't had an offseason with departures like this in a long time. But this draft really was about filling holes more than it was about building on top of everything you just talked about when you listed, Wes, um, you know, those four drafts and how the foundation was built pretty well. All these guys are replacement parts. And I think on the opening day, it's hard to imagine collectively that they're better than what they're replacing, particularly with a, a remote offseason, as opposed to the hands on one where Mike Vrabel's literally getting his hands on these guys and pushing and tugging on them. So, in that regard, I think we have to set the expectation. You know, these are replacements. Is this team better? Like, do you, do you think this team is better? Than the team that walked off the field in Kansas City in January,
1: I think they have the pieces to be better. And i I thought we were better in free agency and everything right up until the drill Casey move happened. When that happened, I was I was not in on Jadavian Clowney up until the Casey trade. When the Casey trade happened, I thought Clowney could be a good and potentially still will be, as you've reported titans are in on him just a matter of if and when um i i think every piece is there to be uh right in the fold as they were last season with the chiefs and ravens number one number two in the afc but that's a good transition point into kind of um another article you wrote at paul about at the start of this ota's quote unquote because of the COVID-19 outbreak and everything, Ryan Tannehill is already being an assertive leader. And even with the COVID-19 uh, outbreak and everything going on, we should expect Tannehill and the Titans offense to pick up right where they left off, you No. Know?
0: Well, nothing picks off right where it left off. It's always – and teams always emphasize this, that you, you start from zero. And so that first day of OTAs, you're not thinking, okay, look, we're picking up from the locker room in Kansas City after losing the AFC Championship game. You're You're talking about starting from zero to build back to be that team that gets to Kansas City or gets into that game again. Um, you know, and they'll certainly be talking about trying to get that game at home, or certainly getting the game before it at home. Um, but it's a different deal now with Tannehill being the starter from the beginning. And that struck me when when he talked to us about um, and it's challenging because the huddle that he's conducting, so to speak, is of guys spread around the country. But he said that Arthur Smith was giving him the latitude to, to interrupt him and to interrupt the coaches. So it's it's the quarterbacks and the receivers in a Zoom meeting, and he's talking very specifically about what he wants out of routes, which nobody cared what the backup quarterback wanted out of routes last year at this time. Um, and he was in the backseat listening to Marcus Mariota, to whatever degree Marcus Mariota spoke about such things. And a lot of us suspect he didn't speak much. Um, He's got the more assertive personality that I want out of a quarterback. um, And that we can see, not that people have to tell us about, not that people have to say, Oh, he's very mellow in front of you guys, but behind the scenes, he's actually demanding. We can see that Ryan Tannehill is demanding. Um, And I'm not into passive quarterbacks. Uh, I think it was ultimately a big part of Marcus's undoing. Um, You know, I asked, uh, I was out on Marcus after three and a half years where he continued to say, I'm doing things the same. My approach is the same. I'm not changing my approach. And when his approach wasn't working, I couldn't understand why he was so vehement on that. I liked that Tannehill in the very first week of quote unquote OTAs was interrupting his coach when he felt the need and is instructing his receivers, even though he can't do it in person um or show them physically, or maybe he can if he can get the right camera angle on what exactly he wants.
1: Yeah, you you made great points and and you mentioned Tannehill said it was hard not to be able to lead the way he wants when he was the backup for all of the off season, training camp, preseason, and then six or seven weeks into the season before he got his first start against the uh Chargers there at home and started that run. But um as you, as you kind of got into that article, you said it wasn't really a passive QB position anymore now that Tannehill has the reins. And I got to thinking, are there any passive quarterbacks in the league that have success? I mean, you bring up Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes. They, I mean, the list kind of goes on of successful guys that don't really come off as passive. So it's an assertive position.
0: I, I think it's by your very nature it's an alpha deal, right? I, I don't. I mean, Jake Locker was passive, and and that didn't work, um, you know. And people get on me like I'm anti-Hawaii, but I, I I don't think the Aloha spirit is a is a quarterbacking quality, and I'm a little reluctant about Tua because of that. Now I, I didn't watch Tua's career super closely. Um, but I don't know, this, uh, you're probably more familiar with it than I am. Do, do you think he transforms into someone different in the huddle? I mean, I think when we see a guy's personality, the snapshot that we get of it, I, I think that – I don't know that we've got Jekyll and Hyde guys walking around who turn into somebody different when they hit the field. I mean, I, I understand the, the defensive lineman who might be uh, you know a teddy bear, and then turns into a uh, grizzly bear when he gets on the field. I understand that kind of thing. Um, and I understand that quarterbacks can can crank it up. But I think you see that they have that alpha personality um, you know, in the snapshots that we get of them. Um, and I, I think you need that to be a success in the NFL today. And I'm skeptical of guys who don't show it. I don't see that from Mitchell Trubisky, and I think that's part of his issue, right? I do see it from Matt Ryan, which is why, you know, the Falcons are bad, but I still think, um, you know, Matt Ryan's uh, been an MVP caliber quarterback before, and I think he could do it, you know. I, do I think the Falcons can be fine at quarterback with Matt Ryan? Absolutely. I've seen him do it. I know he's got it in him.
1: Right. And um Let's see here. So, and besides of the, the, the player, the player's accounts of, of kind of circling back to Mariota here of his, his leadership when the cameras aren't on or in the huddle or the guys, I think we're talking about kind of the, uh, the apparent, what we see um, on the field and in the huddle and kind of the, the leadership and urgency that you kind of want out of a quarterback. And Ryan Tannehill has shown that. And I think that's why we, um are kind of drawn to him even more because of that
0: i agree i i just think also i think you always um and this goes for everything you always want the opposite of what you just had if it didn't work uh vrabels in a lot of ways the opposite of malarkey in terms of personality that's not dissimilar really to to marcus and tannehill malarkey was very laid back right um, and Brabel is a much more boisterous, outgoing kind of guy. And I think uh, there's some parallels there in Mariota to, to Tannehill. You're listening to the Paul Kuharski podcast, part of paulkuharsky.com. Wes Patrick driving the car for me today, a former Midday 180 intern and a uh, very bright Middle Tennessee sports fan who's tuned into the Titans, a, uh, a big follower um, of them and everything going on in middle Tennessee. Where are we going next, Wes?
1: So as we're speaking of quarterback play, you put out a tweet last week where you saw Andy Dalton was released by the Bengals. I guess they never worked out a trade or just the Bengals wanted to give uh, the keys to Andy Dalton, to his future, wherever he wanted to go. And you tweeted that he would have been a, or at the time, he would be a tremendous backup to Ryan Tannehill. You know, experience if Tannehill goes down, Andy Dalton could win you the one, two games you need. And as that tweet was sent out a couple of days later, he ended up signing with the Dallas Cowboys uh, on a one-year deal worth up to $7 million with $3 million guaranteed. Um, and, you know, I've, I was in on Andy Dalton too. I was just in on the Jameis Winston Saints contract for one year, one million with a couple of incentives, especially with, you know, you don't know what the Titans are going to end up giving Jadavian Clowney. But, I mean, this poses the question to you. Are they rolling with Logan Woodside and the new newly drafted Cole McDonald from the seventh round? Or are they going to look to the remaining free agent pool?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, they had terrible backup situations up until last year. With, um, with Matt Castle and with Blaine Gabbert, whose best playing was behind them and who you couldn't rely on really to, to come in and win a game or two or to come off the bench during a game and, and to, to carry them to a win. You know, they did all right with Gabbert, but when Gabbert winds up starting that season finale that they needed to win against the Colts, In Vrabel's first year, um, you know, I think the air was out of the balloon for everybody walking into the stadium as they discovered that that's what was happening, and they didn't have a chance in that game. Um, Look, both of these deals, I mean, Dalton's from Dallas, so it it was a no-brainer for him if he had a chance to go there. Um, Prescott's probably getting a contract. There's some contract complications there. But, I mean, I think Dak, Dak Prescott's, you know, as likely to get hurt as, as Ryan Tannehill. Maybe not. Tannehill's got more of a history. But I could see that that's an easy choice for Dalton, and that's out of the Titans' control if they were bidding for it. If they put the same contract in front of Dalton, which is a pretty decent contract um, with with uh, incentives, if they put the same contract in front of Dalton, he's taking the Dallas contract. Same thing with Winston. Winston um, you know, went to, to new Orleans largely because he wanted to work with Sean Payton, with Pete Carmichael, with Drew Brees, the Titans don't have that to offer. Um, a very affordable contract, but he said he's going to get his graduate degree. Um, uh, I'm not sure he finished his undergraduate, uh, football degree, frankly. Um, so, yeah, you know, I would have liked either one of those guys. I'm not a big Winston guy, but certainly could come in and, uh, and give you a chance to win some games if Tannehill went down out of, out of this list about, I want nothing to do with cam Newton based on the practice habits I saw from him when the Panthers were here with the Titans for a couple days and the way he carried himself injured. Um, I just, he engaged with fans the whole time. He was not participating in practice. He was not paying attention to what the backup was doing. I found it absolutely bizarre. I think it would be, I wouldn't want him. Joe Flacco, Trevor Simeon, Blake Bortles. Uh, uh, one of those guys I'd be okay with. But I, I, I'm i tending, west to go more and more of the direction of, you know what all these guys are, right? Flacco and Simeon and Bortles are, in a way, another version of Castle and another version of Gabbert, right? Right. So if Logan Woodside, in fact, has impressed them and if he has, if you want to wait, if you want to wait and he has a good camp, uh, you know, and I think there'll be some quarterback options for you at the end of camp, whatever camp looks like, but I'm tending more and more and I'm not hugely into Woodside. But if you've got a call on a quarterback during the season, you've seen what all these guys can do. And you've experienced Matt Castle and Blake uh, and Blaine Gabbert. Might not go the other way and throw out an unknown uh, who's maybe got some upside and see what he could do. You've done it the other way with the predictable backup who's not very good. Yes, he's played in some games and yes, he's won some games, but he's also lost a lot of games. He's also washed out. He's also available to the league on May 5th. Um, and in that regard, I wouldn't have a problem if, if they went with Woodside. And I wonder about Woodside's health myself. He's been dinged up. Um, I don't think McDonald's in it. I mean, I think McDonald's heading for the practice squad, and that pick confuses me. But I'm not going to be up in arms if, if they go with Woodside. Just based on the idea, hey, we've had veteran quarterbacks here who haven't cut it. These guys are all on the street for a reason. And instead, we're going to go with a young guy that we think might have a future in the league and give him a chance. Why not? You know, uh, my friend Kevin Seaford at ESPN.com, I think, has written that in the past. Like, you've seen the retread backups over and over and over. Why not go with a young guy and just see if he can do more?
1: I think it's a, it's a, it's a good point uh, going off of something different that people haven't seen. You know, you look at last year, you have, you know, I remember watching the Lions on Thanksgiving against the Bears and I know they didn't win, but David Blau, who no one gave a chance, came out and put up two touchdowns in the first two possessions. And although they didn't win, he put up 21 points in a loss and, you have Kyle Allen, who really no one knew, win three or four games for the Panthers. I think it's a good idea to to put somebody out there that maybe teams don't have a lot of tape on and they don't really know what's coming as of for Joe Flacco. He's a sitting duck back there. Yeah. And you know, the other these other guys, like you said, you know what they offer and you know their weaknesses to go against them. But think, with the, dude,
0: it's not just the tape thing, but also he's been with you a long time. he, you've invested a lot in them. I hate the idea of investing all this time in guys that never do anything. Then it's a big waste of time. If, if Pat O'Hara and Arthur, I think Arthur Smith had a Friday meeting every Friday last season with Logan, who was on practice squad IR with, I don't know what, but he had some kind of injury early in the season. And they went through the game as if he was going to be the quarterback and talked him through the whole thing. And they really liked what they saw from that. And then they turned to Trevor Simeon instead. Well, what was that all for? Like, if you're doing it, do it. I, I think you can make that argument. I don't, I don't know if, they'll, if that's where they will wind up. We got time uh, for one more here. So pick pick one more that you like off of what we were talking about. Paul Kajarski Podcast, I should mention, brought to you by Yazoo Brew. You should pick some up. They've got that distinctive triangular red and white sign. You can't miss it. Uh, Something for everyone. Fine varieties of beer. I'm a Hefeweizen guy. Encourage you to drink it. And uh, someday when the bars are all the way open and the restaurants are too, that's what you should be ordering. For now, I'd advise you to put a six-pack in your fridge, crack one open at night, when you're done with whatever you've had to do and uh, kick your feet up, that's what I'm doing. Let's finish up with uh, one more topic here, Wes, and then we'll release the people.
1: Sounds good to me, man. So you I saw that you are interested in this uh, pro football talk story that Mike Florio put out about the – he called it the tug-of-war story about the Saints trading back into the seventh round in the draft last week. And they selected Mississippi State quarterback Tommy Stevens when reportedly the Carolina Panthers had a undrafted free agent deal lined up with Stevens. Now, you cannot do that, according to the memo and the rules that the NFL sent out a couple of days before the draft, but it happened anyway.
0: Well, it's funny here. First off, the Saints don't need Tommy Stevens. <laughs> Tommy Stevens, I think, is supposed to be another like Taysom Hill kind of guy. I think so. So what team doesn't need Taysom Hill? The team that has Taysom Hill. So I don't even know what the Saints gave up, but you have to give up something from next year in order to get back into the seventh round. So it seems wasteful to me. They're doing this to screw with uh, the Panthers. I don't mind that. I like uh, teams in the same division fighting on stuff like this. But it's just the league's lack of enforcement of stuff. They have so many rules that they pay no attention to. Tom Brady goes to pick up his uh, his playbook from um, his his new offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich. Now, yeah, he goes to the wrong house. That's how this whole thing becomes known. So, but he's got two big bags with him two big bags, the kind of bags that would carry footballs. So, and the league finds that there's nothing wrong with this. Of course, there's something wrong with this. So uh, is it selective enforcement for Brady? Is it no enforcement? Gronk says that he had the Bucks playbook for a month or two before he came out of retirement, and got traded from the Patriots to the Bucks. Then he walks it back. There's so much walking it back. It's almost presidential. Then he walks it back uh, and says, come on, guys, I was just kidding. What well, was he kidding or did he have it? You're not allowed to have it. Uh, does the league look into this? They don't seem to care. So I, I think PFT goes over the top with some of this. But do, if the rules are there, are you going to enforce them or not? Um, There's so many rules that they have that they don't seem to care about or that they pick their spot on. It oftentimes involves the Patriots um, or or the star like Brady that it seems like there are just separate set of rules or the enforcement is totally based on who's involved or who's not involved. And I think it just makes the league look – I don't want to say disorganized, it just, uh, there's there's a level of favoritism that, that fans pick up on, that they feed off of, and that makes them feel like things aren't adjudicated fairly. And that goes all the way to the officiating, which when that's not adjudicated fairly, that's a real issue. And I think this is symbolic of that, and I think it's bullshit. And, uh, they don't seem to take it seriously. They always seem to laugh it off. If you're not allowed to have an undrafted deal lined up, you're not allowed to have an undrafted deal lined up and they should enforce that the same way they should enforce. You're not allowed to talk contracts before the, the pre free agency period, which is, uh, unwisely called the, uh, legal tampering period, a title by the way that they should discourage. So I just hate the way that they, um, Selectively enforce or don't enforce um, this stuff. I, I think it's ridiculous. I think it makes them weaker in a way that they don't even realize.
1: And and like uh, Mike Florio said at the end of that article, it's sad that we have to that this one got out. But now it's sad that we have to think: what are the chances the other thirty teams doing it? Like when the Titans, they did trade away a seventh round pick, but they take. Chris Jackson and Cole McDonald in the seventh round. It it sucks to say, but you have to question if they knew that there was a bidding war for them somewhere else and they wanted to take the take them away from someone
0: else. Yeah. I think that's what the seventh round is largely about is, uh, you have to, to, to kind of gauge who's most popular in the undrafted free agent pool and take them. <laughs> um, even if you might like somebody better who garners less interest. And then that really comes down to your scouts having relationships with the agents of these lesser players uh, measuring it out. By the way, it's been, what, um, a week and three days since the draft, and the Titans still haven't put out their uh, official undrafted free agent signed list, which is uh, a ridiculous wait. Hey, we had uh, Monty Osenfort on this list also. Um, yeah, I
1: was about to ask you about him real quick.
0: Yeah, let's hit that real quick. He, um, he comes in. Go ahead. I, I can't find it.
1: Oh, I just said last night uh, the Titans made a move in their front office. Uh, John Robinson and the Titans added Patriots College Scouting Director Monty Osenfort as the new Titans Director of Player Personnel working under uh, John Robinson. And I guess you said under Ryan, Ryan Cowden as well.
0: Yeah. Ryan Um, Cowden is the vice president. um, And so this is under Ryan Cowden. This is a good get. Um, He's been a big part of what the Patriots do. He interviewed um, with the Browns for GM. He's been blocked a lot. He was blocked um, a couple times for talks with Houston. Um he finally let his contract run out or they let his contract run out and he wandered out. And, uh, you know, he didn't have great upward mobility here uh, unless Cowden gets a job somewhere. But, uh, close with John Robinson took John Robinson's place actually in the hierarchy in, um, new England and, um, uh, nose variable. Um, I talked to a, a reporter friend up there who likes him a great deal. Um, say he's a good football man and a really good guy. Um, I think a a really sneaky, good addition for the Titans. Um, John Robinson runs a very tight, tight front office. And I've written, you know, all these scouts are very young. Um, and they don't really get to put much of their personal feelings into things. Um, I think Monty Ossentort will, will be able to add more of that um, and to probably lead the Titans to be even more, uh, have a more Patriot South feel to them. But this is a good personnel man, I think, who's respected around the league and who kind of earned his freedom from a place where there's just no upward mobility with Bill Belichick really running everything and uh, Casario, you know, being the, the number two there, the, the chief lieutenant there's no upward mobility in new England. Um, here he can come and and do some things and then maybe, you know, get a chance to go interview for GM jobs. Um, so maybe he's only here for a year or two, but, uh, I think a great addition for John Robinson, something to be excited about here. I hope for a chance to get to know him a little bit if, if, and when we're ever standing on the sidelines, uh, at, at, practices again. This has been the Paul Kuharski podcast, part of paulkuharski.com. Wes Patrick, uh, quality host here. I think it's worked out well. Wes, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I think we'll probably give this another crack.
1: Yeah, I would love it. I had lots of fun. And, uh, you know, I've talked Titans all my life. So this is fun. And I appreciate you having me. I appreciate it.
0: Everybody out there, drink Yazoo beer. Stay tuned, paulkuharski.com. And uh, while I'm not on there this week, be sure to listen to Hutt and Withrow on the Midday 180 on 104.5. Next week, uh, my other podcast will reemerge as well elsewhere, produced by 104.5, The Zone. Check that out as well. Be well. Stay safe. Don't block the box. Do lock the lock.
1: The Paul Kaharski Podcast is a joint production of paulkaharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's v-o-k-a-l now.com.